Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 3rd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. New warnings from the nation's top health experts as the U.S. surges past a death toll of 154,000 people. In Washington, negotiations on a new coronavirus relief bill are stalling as Democrats push for more spending. And the latest on Tropical Storm Isaias pushing north along the East Coast. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Hello and welcome to You News for Monday, August 3rd. I'm Noreen Cáceres. Thank you for joining us. We begin with the latest on the coronavirus crisis in America. California reaching a record number of cases. This as Dr. Deborah Burks warns the country is now in a different phase of the pandemic and the spread is reaching rural areas. The CDC predicting 20,000 more deaths could happen in the next three weeks. The number of coronavirus cases globally now surpassing 18 million, the U.S. accounting for more than a quarter. We are constantly having to remind people that they may be tired of the virus, uh, but the virus is certainly not tired of us. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention predicting nearly 20,000 more COVID-related deaths by August 22nd. Meanwhile, California breaking a record over the weekend, becoming the first state with more than half a million cases of coronavirus. On Sunday, the state recorded more than 509,000 total infections, the rise hitting major cities like San Francisco. We have to get more comfortable with changing how we interact with one another. This has been the biggest challenge when we find out through our contact tracing teams, the, the fact that people are still coming together in large groups and family groups. This is where people are spreading the virus. Dr. Deborah Burks offering a dire new view on America's battle against the pandemic, saying we are in a new phase. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban urban areas. Warning residents in rural America to take precautions. No matter where you live in America, you need to wear a mask and socially distance, do the personal hygiene pieces. Dr. Burks explaining events are causing the massive spread and they need to stop. In New Jersey, where transmission rates are soaring after weeks on the decline, officials are outraged. Everyone who walks around refusing to wear a mask or who hosts an indoor house party or who overstuffs a boat is directly contributing to these increases. This has to stop and it has to stop now. This weekend, officials in New York arrested the owner and captains of a party boat called the Liberty Bell, claiming they did not practice social distancing. Meanwhile, as the battle over schools rages on, Louisiana announcing that of the nearly 3,500 new cases reported since Friday, 10% are children under the age of 18. 33% are between 18 and 29 years old. With the uncertainty of a new school year, parents across the country now contemplate Completing their options from San Francisco to Toledo, Ohio to Tampa, Florida. Pandemic pods or micro school groups are popping up. Small groups of young children paired with a single teacher in a home. And nearly eight months into the coronavirus pandemic, scientists and researchers continue to learn more about the novel coronavirus and its impact on the human body. And as Fabiola Galindo explains, those dangers could extend well beyond pulmonary risks. 
is no longer a pulmonary disease only. Now, scientists are warning that the new coronavirus is also causing brain damage. We must take into account that the virus travels in the bloodstream and we are worried the virus can penetrate the blood-brain barrier. COVID-19 has been around only for a few months, but a study performed this month points out brain damage in 10 of 43 patients who had temporary brain dysfunction and delirium, 12 presented brain inflammation, 8 patients had a stroke, 9 had nerve damage. Depending on what part of the brain it affects, it can cause paralysis, confusion, a state of psychosis, or even a nervous breakdown. Victor Santamaria is recovering from COVID-19 after three months at the hospital. He's lost sensibility in his toes and was recently examined by a neurologist. They inserted some needles in my body to check my nerves and muscles, and actually they didn't respond. They are numb. He needs to go back for a follow-up. Because I can't feel my toes, so they need to see if I have a reflection in those parts. Other studies signal that 88% of patients infected with COVID-19 can recover without neurological damage. The problem, doctors say, is that with more than 4 million infected in the country, the wave of brain damage in these patients can worsen. These are permanent damages can affect intellectual development, physical movement, and we don't know how long they will last. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. And now to Capitol Hill, where negotiations on the new coronavirus stimulus package are set to continue today between lawmakers and White House officials. But swift bipartisan agreement seems unlikely. Edwin Pitti is in Washington, D.C. with the latest. Edwin, what exactly is the situation at the moment? Lorraine, negotiations are still ongoing on Capitol Hill, where both parties remain very far apart. Democrats holding to their $3 trillion stimulus package, while Republicans and the White House are pushing for a handful of issues. The main concern is the unemployment federal benefit of $600 a week. Democrats would like to expand that as much as they can, but Republicans want to cut it down to $200 per week. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi saying over the weekend that there is no way the middle class families would be able to survive with that amount. Take a listen. We are unified in our support for the $600, and we're saying three things, support our state and local and our heroes, strategic big plan to end the virus, and third, put money in the pockets of America's working families, and we do that. And we have other issues. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has been saying that it has been very complicated to negotiate with Democrats because they have come up with more than four proposals, and Democrats have shut down every single one of them. Let's listen to what he said. Uh, across both parties, there are different things that are very contentious. The Democrats right now are insisting on over a trillion dollars to the state and local governments. That's something that we're not going to do to bail out those states that had financial issues. But there's definitely areas of agreement. Things like the PPP, I think there's enormous bipartisan support. Now, Lorraine, on the positive side, at least they have been able to make an agreement on the amount of money that people that qualify for the second round of check will receive. We're talking about $1,200 per individual, $2,400 per families, and also $500 for uh, dependents. That's an, uh, an increase from the first round of checks that only included children below the age of 17. 
but now it would be to any dependent without any limitation of age. So of course we're going to follow up because if they don't reach an agreement by the end of the week, the negotiations could extend all the way to September. That's why the White House is saying that they are willing to take unilateral options if they don't make an agreement by the end of the week. Lorraine? Hopefully they do reach an agreement in the next few days. But I have a question before you go. Over the weekend, Speaker Pelosi said she doesn't have confidence in Dr. Burks from the White House Coronavirus Task Force, linking her to disinformation that's been spread by the president. Do we know at all why the speaker said that and what has been the reaction from Dr. Burks to those comments? Yeah, Lorraine, there is very little trust when it comes to Democrats in the House uh, with the way that the President Trump and everybody around him has been dealing with the foundation. But surprisingly, Dr. Burks limited herself to say that she has a lot of respect for the Speaker of the House, but this is what she said. I have tremendous respect for the Speaker. Um, and I have tremendous respect for her long dedication to the American people. And I think um, it was unfortunate that New York Times wrote this article without speaking to me. I could have brought forth the data. I provide data every single day with an analysis. Dr. Burks also adding that the pandemic in the U.S. is getting into a most dangerous phase, something that did not make President Trump very happy. And he took his frustration to his Twitter account where he wrote, and I quote, so crazy Nancy Pelosi said horrible things about Dr. Deborah Burks going after her because she was too positive on the very good job we were doing on combating the China virus, including vaccines and therapeutics. In order to counter Nancy, Deborah took the bat and hit us. Pathetic. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And moving on, this past week, and a surprising announcement from the Republican Party. Next month's Republican National Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, will be closed to the press. A convention spokesperson cites social distancing requirements and resulting capacity restrictions. Not even all the delegates will be able to cast votes in person. Another Republican official said parts of the convention will be live-streamed. That includes the planned formal nomination of President Donald Trump as the party's candidate for president. And Microsoft says its CEO is in talks with President Trump about buying TikTok. On Friday, the president had threatened to ban the Chinese video app from the U.S. amid national security concerns. In a blog post Sunday, Microsoft promised a complete security review if it takes over TikTok and vows to keep user data safe. The company hopes to own and operate TikTok in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Tropical Storm Isaias gained speed today as it continued to march up the East Coast, leaving showers behind in Florida and targeting the Carolinas. The storm's 70-mile-per-hour winds remain steady but are expected to improve and become Category 1 hurricane force winds later today before making landfall in the Carolinas. Over the weekend, the storm dumped rain, knocked out power, and snapped trees as it lashed the Bahamas. And mission accomplished. Astronauts from SpaceX's crew Dragon Capsule are safely back on Earth after completing their historic two-month journey. The capsule plunged through Earth's atmosphere and deployed parachutes Sunday, then it splashed down off the coast of Florida. Crew members Robert Ben Ken and Douglas Hurley are the first astronauts NASA has sent into orbit in nine years. And historically, they're the first humans ever to go on their on a commercial spacecraft. 
An American Airlines flight departing from Richmond International Airport was disrupted Sunday after a passenger on board refused to wear a face mask. According to the captain, the flight bound for Charlotte, North Carolina, was forced to turn around after flight attendants approached the male passenger and asked him to put on a mask, but he refused. The incident happening just days after a similar issue occurred on a Delta Airlines flight when two passengers refused to wear their masks, their plane then also being sent back to the gate. And as the country continues its struggle to contain the coronavirus outbreak, the risks are mounting for millions and not just in terms of their health. Peggy Carranza explains how millions are going hungry, a situation that could grow more dire by the day. The figures are alarming as revealed in a recent U.S. Census Bureau survey. Nearly 30 million people said they did not have enough to eat at some point in the week before July 21st. In his case, Sergio Becerra blames the lack of employment. My job was in construction, but as a result of COVID-19, the company closed for four months and all the employees were forced said Sergio. This is why he's very grateful for the cooked food he receives at a soup kitchen in New York City. He has a chicken cutlet with onions, tomatoes and beans, said Sergio. Many are in a similar situation, especially here in Corona, Queens, one of the neighborhoods hardest hit by the pandemic. One of the examples of this crisis is this church, where one of the organizers say the number of people requesting food assistance is up 50% compared to last year. This is why they expect donations to continue to outpace the high demand. Our numbers have increased dramatically. If you want to donate food, please do. We take any, any food donations you want to give us. And um, we just thank God that we're able to do something good for our community. The tale is the same from coast to coast. In LA, people lining up in cars and on foot at food banks, many fearing that there will be no agreement from Congress to extend temporary assistance to those impacted by COVID-19 after the expiration of the supplemental unemployment benefit of $600 per week. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, U News. Now to Texas, a surge in coronavirus cases in the southern part of that state resulted in a flood of deaths for the month of July, causing many hospitals and funeral homes to be overwhelmed. In Hidalgo County, for example, where the city of McAllen is located, there were fewer than 50 deaths a day at the beginning of July, but by the end of the month, there were over 600 deaths a day, according to John Hopkins University data. One of those funeral homes is so overwhelmed with bodies that they had to get a refrigerated truck to handle the volume. Volume. Joining me now is the director of that funeral home, Ron Rivera. Ron, how is the surge in deaths affecting your funeral home? Lorraine, uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, it's been overwhelming. It's been uh, totally uh, exhausting trying to accommodate uh, the families that we're serving with all these deaths that are coming in. Uh, every day it seems that we're getting more and more uh, deaths and, and all of them, uh, I would say high percentage, about 95% uh, are coming in infected by corona. So uh, it, is, uh, it is alarming and it is uh, scary at this time. I can only imagine. Uh, Ron, a year ago, how many services a day were you doing compared to this past month of July, for example? 
Well, last year, last, we, we do about 300 uh, funerals a year. So that's basically, we do about 20, about 25 funerals a, a month. Uh, this month of July, we ended up with 126 funerals. And just in the month of, uh, of July, uh, right now, as of uh, yesterday, I had, uh, I have uh, 72 families or 72 bodies uh, at my funeral home. Ron, you're offering virtual viewings, but you're one of the few funeral homes also allowing in-person visitation and allowing families to bring in mariachis as a traditional, as a tradition. Why is that important to you? Well, Lorraine, you know, uh, the Hispanic culture is rich in traditions. It's rich in culture, it's vibrant, it's colorful. We, we celebrate uh, Hispanic families are very united. And uh, so we, we celebrate quinceañeras, we celebrate weddings, and we celebrate funerals too. We, have, uh, we celebrate the life of the person that passed away. And I feel that uh, if a family is not allowed to, uh, to have those, uh, those rights and, and, and that, those celebrations, that it's somehow not gonna help them with the grieving process. So for me as a Hispanic, uh, I'm very, it's very important for me to be able to provide those services uh, to our families, and uh, especially uh, our Hispanic families. But Ron, those, th that gesture that you're having is also not risk-free. What are the risks that you and your staff face by holding visitation or simply by staying open? Well, we have protective glass around the caskets. And uh, when we come to the preparation of the body, we take uh, every single case that we take, whether it be corona or uh, hepatitis or tuberculosis, we take it serious. So we wear the necessary equipment uh, to protect ourselves as much as we can. Uh, and, 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 and in reality, once the body's embalmed, once the body has been refrigerated, uh, there's no more coronavirus in the, in, in, in the deceased. It's the, uh, it's, the, it's the people that are living that present a danger. So we, uh, we are, we're implementing safety restrictions with regard to our visitations. We don't allow more than 30 people. We, we uh, uh, strictly okay, enforce uh, social distancing. So, uh, so we, we feel that we're trying to, to maintain uh, a safe environment at the funeral home and at the, in our chapels. And Ron, my last question, the number of cases is dropping in Texas in the last few days, and I know it's still early in August, but have you seen a slowdown yet? I, you know, it's strange, strangely enough, we see a slowdown uh, one or two days, then, uh, then all of a sudden we see a spike. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, we got nine calls, I believe, between, between Friday and Sunday, we had received about, about 16 calls in those three days. But today, I've already received about 18 calls just on Monday. So it's, uh, it's strange. We don't understand it. Uh, we know that it's dangerous. And I, we encourage people to, be, to practice safety. Okay, always practice safety and stay safe. Well, thank you so much for your insight and your time. Please stay safe. Director of the Funeral Home, Ron Rivera in McAllen, Texas. Thank you very much, Mike. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News.
Several years ago, a Colombian family emigrated to Peru in order to make a new life for themselves. Then came the coronavirus pandemic. Now that family deciding to risk it all to return to their native country. Azul Alvarez brings us their story. They are Colombians who months ago decided to try their luck in Peru, where they opened a restaurant, and when things started to become promising, the pandemic struck. It didn't take long to open it, about a month, and then the well-known COVID-19 pandemic arrived. In the village where they were residing, people were dying, and the news around the globe was not encouraging, so they decided to return to their country. Getting to Colombia was our plan from the beginning. It was the beginning of May, and since they could not obtain humanitarian authorization for their return, they decided to walk. 24 Colombians, men, women and children, gathered together and left without knowing what would await them. By the river, we met the army and they sent us into the bush because we apparently weren't supposed to cross. The army was the Peruvian army and the bush was the jungle, the dreaded Amazon rainforest. We lasted a week in the bush walking, and that week it rained a lot. The entire time we were hiding in the river because the army didn't allow us to cross the border. In this image, one of the members of the group can be seen on a log crossing a river while carrying a child in his arms. The weather, the danger and the wild animals added to the hunger and anguish. The uncertainty of losing a friend, a relative, my daughters, the fear was big. He carried the youngest of his daughters on this chair, and with the help of a local, they managed to reach the border. They lost track of time, and when they were almost fainting, they made it to the Putumayo River. Only that river separated them from their home country now, and after more than two months of traveling it, it turned out to be the easiest one to cross. We had to choose between the pandemic or life, and we obviously chose life. It was just a few days ago when they all managed to get to Colombia safely. Reported by Jesid Vaquero, this is Azul Álvarez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.